Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Hey, everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. It's been a while, I know. It's been months <laughs> since I posted an episode of Photo Taco, so I hope you are welcoming me back into your photo life and uh, and that you this will, will be a beneficial episode. I'm going to talk about what I've learned in 2020 about lens variants versus a bad copy of a lens, and I'm going to rely very heavily, I'm going to refer to this a lot through this episode to um, the great Roger Sicala, who published at dpreview.com here in 2020, two-part article. He's, he called it the difference between sample variation and bad copies. I, I wish this had received a little more publicity when he published it because I found it extremely helpful, enough that I'm going to do a whole episode where I'm going to echo a lot of his comments. I'm going to relay uh, some quotes directly, but I'm going to add some thoughts and some things that I have run into here in uh, you know the second half of 2020 with my own lenses and some experience that I gained, maybe something a lot of you have already seen. I don't, I don't know, but for me, this was a new encounter, and I'll get that to that at the end of the episode. So let's start with why do I want to talk about lens variants versus a bad copy? Besides Roger's articles just being so, so good and giving me kind of something to build from, um, it has to co correlate very closely with what I have been seeing in uh, the various Facebook groups that I have for our communities, the Photo Taco Facebook group or the Master Photography Facebook group, also with um, you know, just forums in general. I mean, I'm involved in a lot of groups and forums and I get, I see it a ton. I see questions from photographers very regularly, some at the beginning end of their journey, some more experienced, uh, advanced pros. And they, they all seem to be seeking out like uh, guidance from the communities they're in on what lens to buy. They, um, especially for the beginners, this can be a daunting thing when you look at all of the letters and numbers and <laughs> all of the things that are there on the descriptions of these lenses and, and the things that they talk about with elements and with, um, it just it filters. There's a whole ton of technical information associated with these lenses that can be hard. Even if you're someone who's very experienced with photography, it might be challenging to kind of look at the lenses and make a decision. And, and sometimes you just, they just want some feedback like, Hey, has anyone else used this lens? And what do you think of it? And, and I get that. So that's, that's totally what your community is there for is to be able to get that kind of help and feedback and, uh, and good for you to be able to do that. But what, bothers me a lot when, <laughs> when I see responses to the post. And this happens more generically. I can say that there's a whole bunch of people that will, I don't know what they have a bad day or a bad attitude, but they, they often will post responses to that that are just not even helpful to the original poster. And just as a general thing that I'd love to be able to get out to my audience, if the thing that you have to say about something just doesn't contribute to the discussion, doesn't help the the original poster answer their question, then, you know, maybe don't share that. <laughs> I, it, I won't go into any more detail there, but it, I, I hope you get what I'm getting at. Anyway, what I've seen is responses like, well, I have you, I will never buy X lens because I got a bad copy and I had to send it back. Or I would never buy X lens because my friend went through three of them. And they finally got their money back and bought Y lens, and now and that one worked great. 
And it just bothers me on a couple of fronts. So it, I've, I guess I've just, well, I need to recognize, first of all, my own bias. I definitely have a bias. I know that. I recognize it. I'm a Tamron fanboy. I love Tamron lenses. I think that they are great quality at a much more reasonable price than especially the first party uh, lenses from your camera manufacturer. And it just, you know, speaks right to my nerdy hobbyist heart. I just love it that you can get really high performing lenses for much less money. And, uh, and I really like that. But so, but I, I know I have a bias and I know I don't have a lot of experience here. And it's what bothers me when people respond to these posts, because with, with that kind of thing, I will never buy that lens because it, I got a bad copy and, or, I never, you know, my friend or whatever, the, the data that they are reacting from is minuscule. It's meaningless. Statistically speaking, it's terrible. And I'm so glad Roger made his articles because he kind of points that out in them. And I have links in the show notes to the articles, of course. But if you don't know Roger Sakala, uh, he works for LensRentals.com. He's been there a long time. And I he he just has an amazing amount of experience. And I, I think he does a really good job, at least in my opinion, he does a good job of expressing things in an, a very unbiased way, backed by science and data. And it just... I love it. Maybe because of that, he he incorporates a good amount of science and data into his articles, into what he's saying about things, and it just it really is good. I love his his the way he started one of his articles. He said he wanted to address the seventh most common forum war, <laughs> the old the lens variation is a big problem versus I don't believe it exists argument, and I don't know if he got information like he just said the seventh most common i don't know if he actually is kind of counted to determine what is the seventh most common forum war but i I just love his the way he's saying it like he sees it in the forums all the time too just like i have seen and he's also similarly like oh come on people you are talking from a point that has no data to back it there's no you you can't really speak You, you have anecdotal experience at best and your one anecdotal experience doesn't really mean a lot when there are thousands and millions in some some cases examples of these products being out there and uh you can't just say from you know one anecdotal experience how it covers the entire product line so let's talk about lens variants first and i've gone through this I don't remember if it's photo taco where I've said it before or master photography, but I am thoroughly amazed at modern manufacturing processes. I think it is a modern miracle (laughs) that the cameras and lenses we have function at all. The more I learn about them, the more I'm just amazed at the engineering and, and that this works, that I have this, this piece of equipment in my hands that does such an amazing job with something that I enjoy so much. It's just a marvel to me. And, uh, yet, yet as amazing and as modern manufacturing processes are, they have been deliberately built to allow for small variations in the final product, especially photography related products. Um, and they have to, Roger addressed this in his articles too. I'm not going to go into what he said about it much. So go read about it. But, and I, I will share one quote at the end. But these variances result in, you know, they could be the result of cost cutting, cutting measures or the result of technical limitations where we like simply don't know how to do it any better. But for whatever reason, 
for the variation, there's going to be some in the results of every manufacturing process. It exists in everything. Now, there's some things where we take it to a different level, like the difference between manufacturing consumer dishwashers, I think this is Roger's exact example, actually, versus like the Hubble telescope. Those are very different use cases. And the allowable or the tolerable variance that we have between those two things really different you can you know there's a lot of variation we can deal with warranty we can deal with you know repairs and returns and whatever on the dishwasher you don't get you get one shot at the hubble tell <laughs> like you, you're not building this a second time you're not it, it, you gotta take more care you have to try to limit the um the variance in the things that you're using with that hubble telescope they're two very different things and it can it can kind of be that way with like lenses too there's variation that they have to account for. And I, I like how, uh, I, I think Roger has a lot of insight. I think he has uh, deep roots in the lens manufacturer industry. Like he, he knows he works with these manufacturers a lot. And it, it's apparent to me that he feels for them <laughs> a lot because they're caught between a rock and a hard place frequently. They have to decide between a really a good performing lens at a low, a little lower price point that will appeal to a broader audience and have uh you know make more sales versus a higher performing lens that's a significantly higher price point and therefore a lower market a, a smaller market for that lens and it's not just one decision it's it's hundreds and hundreds of decisions that go into the design and manufacturing of a lens each with their own pros and cons and it's, it it feels to me like Roger just really feels for him he's like I know that the engineers really want to like go all out they want to design the perfect lens they want to design a lens that um that the, the the elements inside the lens have very little variance like almost none so they can get the the maximum sharpness out of that lens and really have it perform and then you've got the you know marketers or well the 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 business end of the the manufacturing company saying we can't do that <laughs> if we do that we'll be out of business because it'll cost us so much to produce a lens we'll have so few lenses we can actually make because we're gonna have to, so many that fail the quality testing like the the elements won't live up to the, your strict tight designs and and we can't do that we can't build that lens and there's this massive give and take that has to take place I I get that from Roger's article. And, you know, I, I guess I never really thought about it before from the manufacturer side of things and, and their job and how hard it is to do this. And we all have these really high standards. We, we want ultimate sharpness for a very small price. Of course, that's what every consumer is going to want, what every photographer is going to want. And, uh, and so it, it's just, it's this really interesting thing. Manufacturers can do some things then in making those choices. You know, they can choose to, for example, I, I think Roger walked through this, and if if I remember right in his article, they can design it so that there's a number of elements that kind of work together inside the lens, and they work together, or it's designed purposely to make it so that they can have a little bit of variance between each one of those elements in the lens that together kind of compensate for each other in a way that allows them to manufacture them pretty consistently and make very little variance between them. The cost of that or the the con to that kind of a design is you give up a little bit of the sharpness. Like you just can't make it exact. Or they might 
take a different approach and be like, well, I'm, I, there's this one element in the lens that we are going to, we're going to spend more money on. We are going to make a decision that we want to be able to produce lenses with higher sharpness. And so this one element in the lens has to be produced or manufactured at a higher precision than the others. And we're going to have some others that are there that can kind of take the load off, the burden off a little bit and, and allow for variance. But this one element is, is just going to cost more. And they make that decision, right? It, there's lots of ways to go about doing this. Another choice they have is we're going to make it so that you can actually adjust some of these elements in the lens. And they, there's all kinds of lenses where like every element is adjustable versus one or two or some none. And those adjustments, the ability to adjust the elements in the lens also costs money and, and can be very expensive adding to the cost. And I love this piece. I'm, I'm going to quote this exactly from Roger because I, I like what it draws out as part of helping us understand this really big dilemma that lens manufacturers have as they're doing this. He says, I want to emphasize that optical adjustments in a modern lens are not there so that the lens can be tweaked to perfection. The adjustments are compensatory. They, there are trade-offs. Imagine you're a technician working on a lens. You correct the tilt on one element. Maybe that messes up the spacing here and then correcting that spacing as you change centering there and correcting the centering it messes up the tilt again. And even though in this hypothetical case, after a lot of back and forth, you would arrive at a combination of trade-offs, you maybe made the tilt a lot better, but not perfect. That's the best compromise you can get. And I, I just love how that brings it together for me about like, this is hard. <laughs> this is not an easy thing. These lenses are really, truly amazing. And, and what we're getting to with the improvements in manufacturing processes over the years has led to increased sharpness. And we've had to have uh, sensors get upgraded so that they can take advantage of the resolution capabilities. It just keeps building and building and growing. And it's truly inspiring to me. And I love it. But there's this nonstop argument then in forums, in groups of like, well, did I get a bad copy or not? I see it said so much. Well, I got a bad copy. And, you know, I had to send it back or I went through like three of them before I finally got a good copy of the lens. And I just, in my gut, I just felt like that's, there's no way that's, that's real. There's no way that's legitimate. Like someone went through three bad copies of a lens before they finally got one. If that was the case, I think that would put a manufacturer out of business or at least they would get so blacklisted by photographers. If if one person could get three copies, like, you know, randomly, they just get three copies and they're all bad. That would have to be a massive, massive bad copy failure rate. And that would never work. Like that would end that line, at least that line, if not the manufacturer from making lens. It just, that cannot be. I just felt it in my gut. I, I couldn't prove it. I don't have experience with a ton of lenses. I can't, I don't have a, a vast knowledge on this, but Roger does. Thank goodness we have Roger to help us with this. I love how he defines a bad lens. So listen closely to this. I think this is amazing. He says, a bad copy of a lens has one or more elements so out of adjustment that its images are obviously bad at a glance. Such a lens, assuming it is optically adjustable, can usually be made as good as the rest. And I just love that because, and the thing I picked out there, I hopefully got it as I read it, the emphasis, 
obviously bad at a glance. We're not talking about you have to take 400 images into onto your computer, look at them at 200% and compare them with one with another to be able, and, and that determines that you got a bad lens. Now, he, he's telling me, at least what I'm taking out of that quote is, you probably should be able to take some photos after you get a lens, look at the LCD screen on the back of your camera and go, whoa, something's wrong. <laughs> That's not right. And, and it's going to be obviously bad, really, really bad. And then, then he goes on with data. And that, that is the key to me, this whole discussion about a bad lens copy. He has some data that, that he shared that I, I just love. So he didn't say if he's testing, like how, how the testing happens. He didn't go through that in this post. Maybe he's done it in some other places, but I don't, I assume he's testing every new lens that comes. I, I assume that he's, they're doing that just to make sure like it's within the tolerance, the variance tolerance that he's got established. And I do know they have that because he has graphs in the articles that shows kind of the mean, the mean uh, quality level that he has after testing a, a number of the same kind of lens. You know, they might get 10, 15, 20, I don't know how many copies of a lens and they'll test them and they'll, they'll kind of establish this mean quality value across it, like through an MTF chart and then the variance. And they have kind of the, a, a baseline for what tolerable variance there is within those lenses. And then it is completely obvious how a lens is so out of variance, out of tolerable variance, that it is actually a bad lens. Um, I don't know if he tests every lens as it comes back in or not. I, I could see that being possible, but I, I don't know for sure. He doesn't say, but the bottom line is he's got a lot of testing experience, thousands of tests that he's been able to do with these lenses with lots of different manufacturers. And he can speak from a point of uh, expert. You know, he is an expert in this field. He knows what this is. I can believe and trust him when he says something about what makes a bad lens and how often it happens. And that's the, the point that I wanted to really bring out. Is your, is your lens a bad lens? Listen to what he says about this with the, co the bad copy rate. How often a lens is a bad copy. He says the actual genuine bad copy rate is way lower than I showed in the graph above. He had an example in his article, uh, a hypothetical example. I don't think it was a, a real statistical model. And he says, um, for high quality lenses, it's about 1% out of the box. 1% people. <laughs> this explains why I roll my eyes every time I've heard I've owned 14 wonder bar lenses and they're all perfect. He said, Roger says statistics suggest you need to buy over 50 lenses to get a single bad one. The worst lenses we've ever seen have a bad copy rate are maybe 3%. The worst ones, the, the, the most poorly manufactured line of lenses, he says, was about 3% as a bad copy out of the box. The chances are good you wouldn't get a bad one out of 14. You'd have to order 14 lenses, well, 15, I guess, to give yourself a chance to actually get a single bad copy of a lens. <laughs> I love that. I love knowing that. And uh, I love that he was able to provide us with that information. Unfortunately, though, <laughs> now that leaves us to, okay, so how, how do I know if my lens is a bad copy? Like, it's possible. There's a one to maybe 3% chance that I get a bad copy of a lens. 
how am I going to know? And, and this is where truth is going to be hard, <laughs> right? The truth is, and it, it goes along with what my gut feel was, if you're having trouble with sharpness, you only have about a th- one, maybe 3% chance the issue has to do with the lens. It probably is not the lens. Now, I get it. <laughs> I look for the easy button just like all of you. I don't want to admit it's me. I don't want to admit it's a lack of skill or it's a lack of technique or or that I am the cause for something not being sharp. And I want to be able to blame it on the lens. And I've seen it suggested so many times in the forums. I have to admit, even though my gut was telling me like, yeah, this can't be like, there's no business model that would allow for this to be a, such a widespread spread problem. I still had this clinging to hope like, okay, but my lens might be a problem (laughs) or can't it just be off a little bit enough that I am seeing an issue and maybe I need to send it in for adjustment. I'll talk about that in just a second. Still, it's just not, it's probably not your lens. If you're having sharpness issues, it's probably not your lens. And like you said, you should be able to recognize a bad copy like instantly. It should be so obviously bad and no matter what you do or try, the sharpness doesn't get better to before you can really know like, oh, I actually got the rare bad copy of a lens because it's totally possible. It's just one to three percent chance. So I, I'm going to refer you to like if you are having sharpness issues and you need some help with like, OK, maybe you're convinced oh, it's not the lens. Fine. What is it then? Why am I struggling with sharpness? I've created a photographer's checklist for sharper photos that you should go check out over at phototacopodcast.com or there's a link in the show notes to be able to get to that. And it's some help for the common, common things that end up being the problem if you are struggling with sharpness. Now, what about sending your lens into the manufacturer? What if the case, like, okay, so my lens is probably within some amount of variance that it's not truly a horrible problem, but I'm just struggling with sharpness. Like maybe uh, with back focusing or front focusing, which can totally be an issue with autofocus micro adjustment. I'll I'll talk a tiny bit about that um, here too. And what it or or you're looking at it like you're looking at photos and you're like ah it just feels like I I should be able to get a little more sharpness out of this and I'm not and and I know I'm using doing the things on that checklist for sharper photos that I just talked about that you feel confident in your skill set and that you're able to do that um so what about that what is it worth sending your lens into the manufacturer to have it like cleaned uh, and checked out kind of like, you know, a, a tune up for a car for what <laughs> that you do for your car. Maybe you need a tune up for your lens and see if that will do anything. So here's what I just went through in the second half of the, the latter half of 2020 that I, I thought I would share. I'm not fully ready to share all the results yet. It's taking me so long to get through this. And that's why I haven't done an episode because I've been spending a ton of time on researching this and, and doing it. Um, what I've been able to do is I'm using some software called Focal from Rikon, and I'll put a link in the show notes to it if you're not familiar. Um, now I'm still not Roger Sakala. <laughs> I still I don't have. Uh, I, I know he has testing tools at his disposal that are significantly better than what I'm using, and and Focal is designed 
really to help with autofocus micro adjustment on DSLR cameras. That's what it was built for. It happens to have expanded into having a few other new features in the most current version. Um, and, and I've even been testing out the beta version of the software and it, it's amazing what kind of information you can get out of it. So it, it's very helpful for someone like me. It's not Roger's level. I, I recognize that <laughs> right from the beginning. This is not Roger Sakala level testing, but it enables me at a, at a very reasonable price, the Focal software I paid for. It's not something they gave me. And it's, it's, uh, it's very like easy to use. I find pretty easy to use anyway. So I, it, it's, it's just been really great for me to be able to test my lenses, my specific lenses with my specific cameras and try to see kind of what sharpness I'm getting in the course of my testing that I've been doing over the last three months. Um, I probably put around, I don't know, more than 40,000 shutter actuations on my, on my poor Canon 80D. And uh, it, it's just been a ton of shooting that I've been doing and data that I've been gathering. And I'm, I'm going to put together an episode where I, I walk through more of that. So you can look for that. I hope in January, I, I hope I can be able to kind of button it up and feel comfortable in sharing how the, the information and I'll have pretty charts and graphs and it, it's really cool. This software produces some really good information, but how it pertains to this topic, I became worried. I might be one of those that has a bad copy. Now to Roger's definition, since I've seen it, I was immediately convinced when I saw Roger's definition. Okay. That's not a bad copy for sure. My lens is not a bad copy. And I'm talking about my beloved Tamron 24 to 70 G2 lens. I love this lens. It has helped me produce some high, high quality images. And I, so I, I guess it's not fair to say I, I suspected it was a bad copy, but I wondered, is there a little bit of in between ground Roger makes it clear a bad copy is obviously bad. And that's not the case because I've had some good images that I've been able to, to create with this lens for sure. Really excited and happy about those images. But I've had some challenges and I just, it felt, it felt weird to me that especially in some of my testing using the Focal software, I discovered I have a sharpness level at 24 millimeters that is not the same as 70 millimeters and say 24 millimeters is sharper than 70 millimeters. Now they're both sharp, but there's an increase in sharpness. Like the software, the Focal software can, can tell me, um, it gives me numbers. It, it's only numbers that it means to itself. Like you can't compare it to anything else. Like I can't throw it out and have it mean anything to you, but I could get numbers from the software on the sharpness that it finds and at 24 millimeters, I was getting 20% more sharpness in the images than at shooting a you know focused target than I could get at 70 millimeters. It was 20% less sharp at 70 millimeters. And this was something I'd never explored before or never heard uh, expressed anywhere. I, I would have thought that if this was a really common thing, then Others would have seen, I would have seen this in groups by now and forums. I would have set, seen somebody talk about this and I, I never heard anyone tell me before. Maybe I've just missed it, but that there's a, a increase in sharpness at the front end of a lens to the back end of a lens, or maybe vice versa, that one end of the lens is going to be less sharp than the other. And it made me just wonder like, well, what if there's, maybe I've dropped this. I certainly dropped the, <laughs> the lens. It's, it's hard not to uh, have a fumble at some point with your lens. 
maybe I've dropped it and I've knocked an element slightly out of position or something and, and it's okay at 24 millimeters or, or negligible at 24 millimeters and it's more of a problem at 70 millimeters. Totally possible with the the little knowledge I have of lenses. So I decided after doing a lot of testing and seeing this really consistently that 24 millimeters had more sharpness than 70, I decided, well, you know, my lens is stoner warranty. I can do without it for a couple of weeks. Uh, I can time it in between shoots so that I send it off and get it back before the next shoot. And I'll just send it in for warranty kind of service. Um, Tamron offers it, you know, at no cost if it's under warranty to take a look at the lens, especially if you you have a place where you can say, I'm having a challenge with this. And so I told him 70 millimeters, I'm not seeing the sharpness that I get at 24 and, and sent it in. And um, it, the only cost or downside then is, yeah, I had to pay shipping to get it there, which, you know, amounts to something, but I thought it, it's worth it if if the, it's possible that Tamron can make it so that the 70 millimeter end is sharper because maybe there's an adjustment that needs to be made. That's totally going to be worth it to me, even if I had to pay a little on the shipping. And, and even if it wasn't a warranty, to have that be the impact would be worth it because I, I think the cost without it was something like, I don't know, $200 or something. It, it was negligible compared to the cost of the lens to be able to have them take a look at it. So I decided to send it in. And um, I was interested to see then how what would come back and what I learned from this process. And then it took, it's a COVID year, right? <laughs> this was all done in the latter half of 2020. And COVID really slowed things down. What was supposed to be like a, about a two, maybe three week turnaround was what they kind of say in the documentation as you're going through this process with Tamron. Ended up being four weeks. And during those four weeks, when it became apparent that I wasn't going to get my lens back in time, I had a shoot lined up where I was going to use that lens and uh, I couldn't be without the lens. Plus I get the advantage of, well, now I'll get exposure with another lens. So I decided to go and rent a Sigma lens, a Sigma 24 to 70 art lens, uh, a sister lens, if you will, to the Tamron where they're, they're often compared head to head very favorably. Like these are almost interchangeable kinds of lenses. Um, they're, they're both thought of extremely highly. And um, so I decided I've got tons of experience with the Tamron. I'm going to get the Sigma. I'm going to run it through a lot of the testing that I've been doing as well. And uh, I'll have it for the shoot, which is what I needed. And then um, and then I'll be able to get my Tamron back and I'll have some comparison. I'll be able to talk about it on the show. I thought this would be great. So I rented the lens. And when it came in, I did some testing. And guess what? It's softer at the 70 millimeter end than the 24. <laughs> it's almost exactly the same as my Tamron. Now, I wouldn't say that the numbers are exactly the same. I actually have not even compared them yet. Um, so I, I can't tell you that for sure, but similar. It, it absolutely was not so different that I was like, oh, well, this is a way different kind of result. It looked really similar in the testing and the numbers that my Tamron lens did and was definitely softer at 70 millimeters than at 24. And so now I want to, in a way I was glad to see it because it means the testing, it like lends credibility to the testing. And in a way I was sad because now I had a zero expectation that when I get my lens back from Tamron, it's going to have an improvement on the 70 millimeter end to make it closer in sharpness to the 24, what I could get at 24. And uh, sure enough, Got the lens back from Tamron, put it through some testing. It's still softer at the 70 millimeter end than the 24. In fact, 
I, I'm betting when I go to compare the numbers between before and after sending the lens into Tamron, there's going to be no difference. It's going to be the same. Um, the same sharpness that I can get from the lens on that camera and 70 millimeters versus 24 millimeters and having the 70 end be a little less sharp. So I learned if you are worried that the lens is a problem, uh, you can send it in for warranty. If, especially if it's under warranty, it'll only cost you that shipping to get it there most likely. But I wouldn't expect that to do wonders or miracles <laughs> for, for things. If you are seeing a lack of sharpness, it's very little chance that it's the lens. It's more than likely something you need to do with your skills or there is that autofocus micro adjustment. That is a real thing. Um, I know the numbers I was comparing on my to to know the sharpness between the 70 and 24 was not AMFA because I used live view to get those numbers. And when you use live view on a DSLR camera, you're using the sensor to do the focus rather than using the focus box. And uh, that only is a problem when you use the viewfinder. That's the little eye hole that you put your eye up to when you shoot. That's the viewfinder. And the AFMA only comes into play when you're using that. So I didn't use that in the shooting that I was doing and the numbers I was pulling for sharpness to compare from 24 to 70 was through live view and therefore it is not an autofocus micro adjustment problem that leads to the sharpness there. I, I could see where you might think that as you were, if you knew anything about it, you know, on these lens, well, with the Canon ADD, you get to set a AFMA value for 24 millimeters and a different AM, AMFA value for 70. And that could have been that the 70 wasn't where it needs to be but I took that out of the equation by using live view. So I know it wasn't AFMA that was causing that, that uh, difference in sharpness. Um, yeah. So that that's really what I wanted to talk about in this episode is provide some information on the, the likelihood, the sharpness issues you might be facing in your images is your lens is very low, <laughs> very, very low. And I wouldn't expect that for the most part, sending your lens in will dramatically change anything sending your lens to the manufacturer. There might be other reasons, like maybe you did damage something and you need it fixed. Then totally send it in and get it fixed. Um, or if the sharpness dramatically changes, and this was an example that Roger had in his post, he has seen a whole, there's a, a specific Nikon lens that has like a, a little bit of a propensity to have the rear element slip half a millimeter. Um, if it drops just right, there'll be no physical damage. There'll be nothing on the outside to indicate that it got knocked out. Other than if you really looked closely at the rear element, you'd see that it, it got knocked out of position just half a millimeter. And it's always like half a millimeter. It's the same amount too. It's just kind of the result of a, a propensity to have this happen in that lens. And, um, and the image quality is awful when that happens. The image quality that you get is just impacted dramatically. And so all they have to do is just gently put that element back into place, get it slipped back in that half millimeter. And it's beautiful again, it all works and is fixed. And it's not that is it, it has an increased propensity at, after that to have it slip out. It just kind of the design allowed for it to slip out a little bit sometimes if it's hit just right. So it, Maybe that could be a case if if you have a dramatic swing in sharpness and image quality. Yeah, then that's probably something worth sending the lens into the manufacturer, see what they can do about it if it's possible to save it because uh, you probably moved an element. But other than that, your sharpness probably is not the lens. <laughs> it's probably just not. And you would need to face the harsh truth that 
you got to figure out what you're doing that is causing your lack of sharpness. There's got to be something that is wrong. So check out that that sharper images checklist to see what's, uh, what are common issues that you might have there. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. I'm sorry there was like a three-month gap there. I'm really digging into the <laughs> into this testing, and it's taking a while. I, I know I, I only have so much time to spend on this stuff, and uh, it's taking every moment I have just to rerun my test, and I want to make sure I get to some really valid data. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Facebook group. That's through, you can just search for Photo Taco Podcast in Facebook and you'll find the group. You do have to ask to join. We want to keep it to just listeners. So you have to name a host. That's Jeff. And uh, you can message me on Instagram at Photo Taco Podcast or tag me on photos that you're, you want to share with the show. But the best way to get a hold of me if you want to suggest a topic or give feedback is phototacopodcast at gmail.com. That link will also be in the show notes. No question too basic or complicated. If I don't know the answer, and I really don't know the answer a lot, then I'll find an expert. Either come on the show or uh, through their words, through the, <laughs> the articles like I did with Roger Sakala, and, uh, and we'll work through it. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Views expressed on this program by independent hosts and callers do not necessarily reflect the views of Master Photography Podcast, LLC, or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links for permissions earned. Olay!